Welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Welcome, everyone, to today's episode of Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. I'm Sally Ganga, and I'm filling in for Beth Heaton, the regular host. By the way, I don't know if you feel like everybody in the country has a cold right now, but I am one of those people. So I do apologize in advance if I cough or sneeze or have to clear my throat at any time. All right, now back to the show. Um, Have any of you considered attending university outside the United States? And I bring this up because there are really many good options, and often, this is something people aren't aware of, they are often lower cost than attending university here. Uh, For my second segment, I'll be talking with Sarah Blank of University College Dublin, that's Dublin, Ireland, about the advantages of attending college outside the U.S. and at University College Dublin in specific. For our third segment, Mary Sue Yoon and I, a college coach veteran, Mary Sue Yoon, you should have heard from her already on the radio show, will be discussing getting started on your resume or activity list for your application. You may think this only applies to rising seniors, but this can be relevant as early as ninth grade. First, however, we'll be talking with Michelle Richardson, another college coach uh, uh, veteran, but this time in the finance department, about using your 529 or prepaid tuition plan to pay for college. Welcome, Michelle. Thank you, Sally. All right, Michelle. So let me just address this first back to seniors and parents. Like this is, you know, you really want to listen to this segment because even um, now that you've decided that you know where you're going, um, the next step is figuring out how to pay for it. And we know that some parents have planned ahead via a qualified tuition plan, such as a 529 or prepaid tuition, which is great, but there are always considerations to think about. Um, but let's begin from the beginning, Michelle. What exactly are qualified tuition plans, such as 529 or prepaid plans? Um, sure, Sally. 529 plans are basically tax advantage saving for college investment funds. Um, They offer tax-free growth on the earnings, so that's why they're considered a tax-advantaged account. Um, And as long as the funds are used to pay for qualified education expenses. And prepaid tuition plans are basically a type of 529 plan that are often offered through state-sponsored entities. And basically, prepaid tuition plans offer families the ability to lock in today's tuition price for tomorrow's uh, tuition. But the one caveat with that is they're not available in, in every state. Okay. All right. Uh, but I think the 529 plans are, correct? Correct. Okay. All right. So if a family has saved for college using a 529 plan for their college-bound student, what are some things they should be aware of as they plan for spending that money? Well, one thing we often get asked is regarding timing. Should we spend it all in the first year or the second year, or do we wait until the junior or senior year in in college? And, you know, I just mentioned that the tax advantage with a 529 is the tax-free growth on earnings. So as those funds continue to grow, hopefully so will the earnings, and then those earnings will continue to increase exponentially. So if families don't have the full amount saved to pay for college in a 529 plan, which is often the case, um, they might want to think about keeping the 529 plan funds for the later years in college, such as the junior or senior year, um, especially if the market in their return on investment is going uh, well. Um, however, the downside to that is there is greater market exposure, which could lead to increased market risk. But that is one thing uh, they might want to consider. Um, another consideration for families is some families might need 
uh, the income and enrollment qualifications to qualify for the American Opportunity Tax Credit. And basically, that tax credit is available to families that uh, who pay up to $4,000 in payments made towards college tuition fees or required books. And why this comes into play when spending down or utilizing a 529 plan is families can't double dip. So you can't withdraw from your 529 plan and pay and use that money to pay for tuition and fees and then try to capture the American Opportunity Tax Credit um, by paying those tuition and fees. You have to pay for those outside of the 529. So basically, there's no double dipping. Mm-hmm. Okay. So families might want to keep the funds in their 529 plan longer instead of using it all right away as a college freshman. Are there other factors to consider regarding timing of using 529 plan funds? Um, one thing, yes. So a couple of other things. Families sometimes don't realize that students today are really limited by the amount they can borrow or finance on their own to pay for college. And there is a a federal student loan program called the Federal Direct Loan Program, which is basically the first go-to student uh, financing option to pay for college. But the annual loan limits range from $5,500 as a freshman, $6,500 as a sophomore, and then 7500 as a junior and a senior. So one thing that families might also want to consider is if their overall paying for college strategy encompasses the student financing and the family using 529 plan funds or prepaid tuition funds, they will want to ensure that the student borrows each year. So if a student doesn't borrow that 5500 maximum as a freshman or the 6500 annual maximum as a sophomore, they can't go back when they're a junior and senior and borrow that money. So again, with the overall paying for college strategy, you might want to consider um, obtaining financing for all four years using that federal direct loan program and using your 529 or the prepaid for some of the other uh, expenses or or years. Um, And another thing to consider is there are about 30 states that offer state income tax incentives if a family contributes to that specific state 529 plan or prepaid tuition plan. So families might want to consider continuing to contribute to the 529 plan while their student is still in college um, in order to continue to receive the state income tax um, benefit as well. Um, And one other item to consider is Tax year versus academic year. So basically, this isn't an issue if families are withdrawing from their 529 plans or using their prepaid tuition plans to pay for tuition in the fall. Where it can get a little tricky with timing is oftentimes colleges will send the spring semester bill in December, and it is due in January. So you're overlapping tax years. So families, if you are withdrawing from either a 529 or using your prepaid tuition funds, you want to make sure that you are withdrawing from the plans and paying from those plans in the same tax year. So you want to make sure that... um, they reconcile annually and and keep that into consideration. If a family, for example, withdraws in a 529 in December, but doesn't pay the tuition and fee invoice until January, they completed the withdrawal in a different tax year than when they paid the bill. And then that would be considered a non-qualified withdrawal. 
Um, and with a non-qualified withdrawal, uh, basically that means that any of the earnings on those 529 plans, uh, they are now subject to federal income tax and a 10% penalty. So you want to be careful uh, with your reconciliation when you're withdrawing and actually paying for the qualified expenses. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. Good to know. All right. So you mentioned earlier that 529 plans need to be used to pay for qualified education expenses. What what items are considered um, qualified? Yep, that's a great question. We get that question a lot. Uh, Qualified education expenses include tuition and fees, required books and supplies, um, a computer, and basically room and board as long as the student is enrolled at least half-time. And uh, families can withdraw from their 529 plans to pay for these qualified education expenses um, in order so they're not subject to the tax liability or the penalty that I just mentioned. Okay, great. Um, So colleges will typically invoice incoming students in July or early August for tuition and fees and room and board. So how do families withdraw from their 529 plan or use their prepaid tuition funds to pay this invoice? Um, Sure. So basically for 529 plans, Families typically have a a couple of different options. Uh, Basically, a 529 plan is always administered by a a third party, and that's often referred to as the plan administrator. And uh, the family can contact that plan administrator. Oftentimes, you can do it online through your 529 plan account, and you can withdraw the amount that you need to pay for the qualified education expenses. You can either have the funds directly sent to the college to be credited towards the directly billed cost, or you could have the money sent to you directly as the owner or participant of the 529 plan, and then the parent or the 529 plan owner would then turn around and pay for those qualified education expenses. Um, it typically, it, you know, it typically is a little cleaner for auditing if the funds um, are withdrawn and sent directly to the college. Um, Prepaid tuition plan funds um, are more limited, obviously, in what you can use those funds for. And typically, those can only be used to pay for tuition and and fees. So families uh, should be um, aware of that as they are withdrawing their prepaid tuition funds as well. Okay. All right. Great. All right. Is there anything else for families to be aware of when using prepaid tuition plan funds? Um, if a family has saved for college using a prepaid tuition plan, they're going to want to check that the college their student is attending is actually a participating college within that plan. Um, and if it isn't, there may be a, a different payout amount when withdrawing the funds to pay for those tuition and fees at a non-participating college. So families should be aware of that. Typically, prepaid tuition plans are offered for in-state public institutions, um, but there, we're seeing less and less states offering prepaid tuition plans um, due to solvency and some other uh, issues that have occurred uh, in the past few years. But um, they'll want to make sure that the college is a participating college to receive those funds. Okay. All right. Great. All right. Well, listen, um, thank you so much, Michelle. Hey, you're very welcome. All right. Now we'll be taking a short break, but when we return, I'll be talking with Sarah Blank from the University College Dublin about her school and the advantages of attending college overseas in general. So please stick around. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. 
If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24 7. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. As I mentioned before our break, we'll now be talking to Sarah Blank about attending college overseas and specifically University College Dublin. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me today. Oh, thank you so much for joining us. I'm actually really, really excited to have you on here because as much as I think we at College Coach offer a lot of expertise, outside guests, you know, new perspectives, just really, really helpful. So, sure, um, absolutely. So, so I personally think that more students should consider um, colleges overseas. I mean, I'm sort of surprised at how many are even sort of nervous about going to Canada. Um, I personally have had have sent students overseas who've had great experiences and also been able to save some money while they're doing it. Um, but I'd really like to hear from you specifically. So, why do you why do you advise students? to think about choosing a college overseas generally, and then, of course, specifically, you know, why uh, University College Dublin? Sure. Um, We're really starting to see a big influx in students who are seeking international opportunities, and even from, you know, four or five years ago, it's much greater now than ever before. We're also starting to see a large amount of uh, international universities attending different college fairs and events in the States to actively seek out um, American students. Um, Primarily, one of the reasons why I advise students uh, to look internationally is for those students who are looking for something a little bit different. Um, A lot of our students are very mature. They're self-sufficient enough. They know how to ask for help, but they take advantage of resources. They're globally minded. They're very open to exploring other options out there, and they're already kind of at that stage. So sometimes what they see or what they hear from the American model of education almost just isn't enough for them or it doesn't satisfy their interest enough. And so we start to see a lot of those students seeking out international opportunities so that they're in classrooms with people from all over the world. They have a much more focused academic experience much more hands-on from the get-go because we don't do general education classes and things like that. Um, And so that's really also for University College Dublin, for UCD, what we start to see in our students. They are very forthcoming in their interests. They are open to a different style of learning. They are, as I said, a little bit more self-sufficient but they still want the same college experience and they want the same amenities. So the clubs and organizations, the sport, living on campus, all of those same types of um, communal and community environments that they're used to hearing about, they want. So international schools in a lot of ways can meet uh, those interests altogether. Mm -hmm. So let's talk a little bit more about what you mean by more focused. I mean, you mentioned no general education requirements. So in, in sort of practical terms, what does that usually mean for a student who's studying overseas? So from the application 
part of it as well, students apply to a program rather than just to the university. So they do come in with a little bit more specific interest. They come in more with an idea of what they're interested in learning about, what they're interested in studying. So they're applying to a specific program. Because we don't have general education classes and we don't have certain core requirements outside of that program interest area, they start off their first year with a much more focused degree. They're taking courses and subjects that they hopefully want to be taking in. And so that really provides much more of a focused and a much more in-depth student experience from an academic side just because they are fully immersed in that academic area. So for an engineering student or a science student, they're not taking the humanities or the arts or the Englishes unless they want to and use electives and things like that. Their degree is much more focused in the areas of math, science, and so forth. Mm -hmm. And don't they, aren't the programs those usually shorter too? Like I know some programs are only three years long as an example because they don't have the general ed. Exactly. Um, So some are three and some are four. I will say that in the UK, you're predominantly going to see more three-year degrees. Um, Scotland has four. Um, The uh, EU, so in Ireland, we have three and four-year programs. But even if a program is four years, so the same length as an American degree, there still isn't general education courses. So the other year could be supplemented with a study abroad opportunity, an internship, practicum experience, more ha- more specific research. Um, so it's much more in-depth just because the time allows for it rather than spending, um, you know, multiple years doing general education types of courses. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of interesting because that sounds a little bit like they'll incorporate in um, something that not as many colleges do here, although it's growing, something I I usually think of as co-op programs, like Northeastern has or Drexel, University of Cincinnati, where students really integrated into, like, every year after their first year, they're doing some sort of an extensive co-op. Is that kind of similar, or is it more geared towards the final year of college? No, it is very similar. Um, We don't necessarily call it co-op. You might hear Mm -hmm. that word a little bit, but it is just much more integrated into the coursework because the labs and the very specific types of lab curriculum or tutorial curriculum or anything like that is going to come earlier on at a much more in-depth level. So what typically for our students would be a second-year course may not be a third- or fourth-year course and, you know, at the American side. So it just really depends also on the type of curriculum and the type of university. So if they're going to a research university abroad like UCD, they're certainly going to have much more opportunities earlier on because that's ingrained in us, that's part of our curriculum, versus if they go to a different type of school that doesn't have as much of a research focus, just as an example, they may not have. So that's something that students also have to navigate during the application process of looking at international schools is what's important to them, what type of academic programs are important to them. But again, because of our academic model, it's just already much more in-depth and much more focused. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So clearly this, these programs are best for students who do have a particular focus, as you emphasized already, but we do know that students change their minds sometimes. So right. what, what happens in that circumstance of a student's like, I thought I wanted engineering, but honestly, I'm just not enjoying the courses at all. Like what would you, what, what do those students do then? Absolutely. Um, and as an admissions you know, counselor in general, I always advise students, you know, I never expect them to know exactly what they want to do for the rest of their life. Um, But for us, yeah, they do have to have an area of interest. So the way I advise students is to think about in high school the courses that they enjoy going to or the ones that maybe they don't enjoy going to, because that will help them navigate from the get-go of what they might be interested in studying with us, per se. Um, now, if, we, if I was working with a student who really wasn't 100% sure but still really wanted an international academic experience, UCD offers a liberal arts and science pathway, which gives flexibility over the first year, um, which is great for students who still want a little bit more exploratory time, but we still don't have the general education model. So they're taking courses in areas they're interested in, and then they narrow down. The Scottish system can be very similar in a lot of ways. But for a student who comes in for, say, engineering, they really should 
know for sure that they at least like the math and science. And then within engineering, there will be possible flexibility or maybe some flexibility into the sciences, but we typically don't see somebody coming in for English and then all of a sudden switch to engineering. That typically wouldn't happen. It, uh, oftentimes they have different entry requirements and different admission requirements as well. So we really try to work with students to identify what subject areas they're at least interested in and then advise them that way rather than having this model of trying out so many different types and being able to switch your major pretty frequently because that doesn't happen as much. We don't see a lot of switching majors at mm-hmm. l- unless it's within the same college. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, okay. All right, so how, um, this is kind of switching topics, Um but so what does it take to get in? I mean, it's a it's a very different process, um, right. you know, with the overseas schools. I mean, some of them, I think Australian ones, I think I've seen some where it's basically just kind of transcript and test scores, maybe, you know, um, the UK system, I know, at least has does have an essay and then like one reference, they call it. So, yeah, just tell us a little bit more about that. Sure. Across the board for international schools, the admission process is far more academic review rather than holistic. So we're not as concerned with extracurriculars or a personal essay. We focus much more on, is this student academically ready and will they be successful in our programs? Because we jump right into a structured curriculum for a specific interest area, we have to make sure that students are academically ready for that. So we assess, and most international schools will assess, GPA test scores, so SAT or ACT. They may ask for AP scores. They may ask for subject tests. So subject tests can be a great option for students who don't have AP offered at their school, for example. Um, But it is much more focused and much more test-focused. IB curriculum is a really great preparation for international education, although not required. Um, And the benefit is, too, of applying to an international school is that it's very transparent. So aside from some of the highly selective universities in the U.K., for example, everybody else is really telling you what you need in order to be admitted to a program. So when I'm working with a student for UCD, I can review the transcripts and the test scores ahead of time and say, yep, you're good to go. Uh, Go ahead and apply to this program because we're much more academically transparent in our process. So we want students to essentially self-select into the right program rather than just applying and seeing what happens. We do produce you know, academic profile, so students can get an idea, but we are much more transparent with the process. As far as the UK goes and any type of program, even for some of the ones at UCD where we do ask for a personal statement, it's much more of an academic statement rather than a personal essay. So anything you would think of for the common application, for example, would not be what we're looking for in terms of an international school. We want to know more about your academic areas of interest and anything you've done extracurricular-wise that relates to your academic area of interest. So it's much more of a focus and much more of a purposeful per- personal statement um, on your academic areas of interest and why you would want to go to that particular university. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of funny. I'm always having to tell um, internet parents um, who went to school internationally that that is not the essay we want right. for the U.S. <laughs> like, please yes. don't write it for the U.S. <laughs> so, right. And I do find that sometimes students need a little bit more guidance in writing some of those academic types of essays. Um, and there's great resources online, but typically we don't see, we see more students focusing on the personal essay rather than how do I talk about my academic areas of interest or just things that I'm interested in that relate to it, whether it be robotics or art history or um, museums or anything along those lines that pique interest. Sometimes we have trouble hearing uh, student voices in that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so relevant activities do matter. I think that that's important to note. Like if you're a top soccer player, that's not going to help you get into, um, you know, a, a, a history program, but like maybe you did a history bowl activity or, or volunteered at an archaeology museum or something like that. That's the kind of thing that might be relevant. 
Absolutely. And it may not come into play as much for the admissions process because it still is more of an academic review. But for UCD, for example, that would be great information we'd want to see on any scholarship applications because it allows us to get to know the student from their interests and also see they've applied themselves in areas that they're interested in and that makes sense to us rather than focusing on um, athletics or extracurriculars that aren't relevant to their academic areas of interest. Mm-hmm. You know, in all honesty, sometimes when I've worked with students who are clearly quite brilliant but light on activities for some of the school, you know, I I will tell them to look overseas because they might Absolutely. do better in Absolutely. the process. Yeah, yeah, and it's and I think um, there's a lot in the American model, um, and I I did work previously at at an American university, but there's a lot that puts pressure on students in terms of being well-rounded. And for international schools, it's absolutely okay for a student to be one-dimensional. That's a great element. Um, we, we aren't asking our students to necessarily be the best in everything. They do have to produce strong grades and strong academic backgrounds, but it's okay for them to express their interest in one particular area over another. And that can be a benefit to a lot of students um, who may not be already thinking of international schools. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I think there's a lot of great reasons to go overseas, and I, I, I can easily sell uh, Dublin as a location for a college <laughs> or university to students, but I do run into parents who are sort of really concerned that, like, something terrible will happen and their kid will be stuck in another country, and I'm like, you know, this is Western Europe we're talking about when we're talking about right. Dublin or the UK. It's not, you know... But what do you tell parents with those kinds of concerns? Because it does typically come from the parents, not the students. Absolutely. And I do work with parents equally, if not more, sometimes than I do with students. Um, As far as Ireland goes, you know, we're an English-speaking country. We're um, ranked the sixth in Europe for safety by the Global Peace Index. So I oftentimes try to share with um, families, you know, here's some comparable statistics just based off, you know, Ireland versus the U.S., and even that alone can oftentimes help the conversation. But I think what it comes down to is that they're looking to find out what resources are available to, for my student to seek help. And so I talk a lot about our international office. We have a very strong international office on campus that sp- supports international students specifically. So we have an um, international accommodation officer um, who works with international housing. We have a student experience and culture um, you know, coordinator who coordinates different events in Ireland or on campus. We have tons of different clubs and societies, but we have a specific interest in having international students on our campus. We believe that the geographic diversity really supports the um, institution model. And so for that reason, we have all these um, resources in place to support students. We have an access center where students with learning challenges can get assistance if they need it um, and so forth. So I think it comes down to me having that conversation with the parents of saying, here's all the different resources that are available to your student at any given time. Now, I always remind parents that our model is not more of a hand-holding model. We really, it's on to the student to say, I need help with this, and then utilizing those resources. And that's really key as well for the types of students who come to international schools. But I'm, I overall just try to share some of the facts and figures about Ireland. Um, Dublin itself is much smaller than people expect it to be. It is very young. Um, it's very fun. It's young. It's vibrant. So it has all of that. But especially on campus, we have residence halls on campus. So um, I try to share that with parents, just what are the resources available to your students. Mm-hmm. So it is a full residential college experience, and they have people looking out for them. Um, right. So. And I think there is a different model, you know, in terms of what does looking out mean, um, depending on the type of school you're going to. We are a large public institution, so the resources are there, but students have to be the ones to, to take advantage of them versus different types of international schools like the American universities abroad, which are much smaller, there might, they might find much more personalized attention. Um, students will certainly get it at UCD, but they have to seek it out. And I think that's a really important distinction to make for students and families. Mm-hmm. Now, so this is the last question. We have to wrap it up. But are there any resources that you would point um, families to who are thinking about, you know, where the student is thinking about um, attending a school overseas? Absolutely. Um, 
Country-level organizations are a great resource. So Education in Ireland, for example, um, the website has a lot of information about all the Irish universities. Um, the Atlantic Bridge is for Irish medical programs. So that's a great uh, resource as well. Um, another one that I really like, we didn't uh, get to chat much about cost, but cost can be significantly less or about the same as going to out-of-state for most in-state students in the U.S. So people expect it to be much more expensive than it actually is. But there is a Federal Aid International Schools website that's linked with the U.S. Department of Education, um, and that's a great website for, stu- for families to identify over 200 schools that are part of the direct loan program. So those schools are eligible to uh, receive U.S. federal loans. The grants, unfortunately, can only stay in the United States, but that's a great way to also see the validity of an institution because if the U.S. government has said, okay, we'll send our money through the direct loan program there, that's a great place to start as well. Um, and then the NACAC Guide to International University Admissions, so the National um, Association for College Admission Counseling, that's a really great one. Um, they produce that, I believe, every year, and that has some great resources as well. Okay. All right, great. Well, I could clearly continue talking to you for quite a while. <laughs> like <so. I> <laughs> yeah, maybe we'll have to have you back on, but um, sure. thank you so much. Of course. Thank you so much. Have a great day. All right, everyone, we're going to take a short break, but when we get back, I'll be welcoming Mary Sue Yoon, college coach veteran, to discuss getting started on your activity list or resume for college applications. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. Hi, Mary Sue. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, everyone. Um, Thanks, Sally, for having me. Absolutely. All right. So what I wanted to talk about with you today is having students get started on an activity list, you know, basically like a resume for their application. So when you're sitting down with a student, I know this is going to be different depending on the student's year in school, but um, like what if you're sitting down with a junior? Like what do Mm -hmm. you kind of tell them about? Right. So first I might talk about um, some of the, the structure of some of the some of the commonly used application websites like the common application or the coalition application and really what the parameters are there for entering activities information and then we'll start to talk about what the student's activities actually are and how those activities might fit into those spaces um, I, I might start them off with a very simple kind of homework assignment of sort of write down everything you've done since ninth grade, including things that are in school, out of school, during the summer, you know, um, if there's, it doesn't have to be um, 
you know, it doesn't have to be something affiliated with our high school. It could be a community or a religious involvement. But just start by making that sort of long list of what they are involved in. And then we really start to think about, okay, now how to best represent this list in a concise format in that application. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so when you say, I mean, you mentioned the common application right off the bat and mm-hmm. sort of what they're looking for. So maybe explain that to our audience because, um, well, you and I have the common application right. memorized. Not everybody yeah. does. Yes, we do. Um, <laughs> so the common application is used by, you know, several hundred colleges. I think it's close to 700 about right now. Um, and it is a, a website where the students can put their information in and then submit it off to multiple schools. The activities page of that common application has a limit of 10 activities. And so um, for students who have a long and extensive resume, they may not be able to put everything in those 10 spaces. So, uh, But we do want to have the student kind of as much as possible, accurately represent what really takes up their time during high school. What what are their major time commitments? Um, what are the things that they are um, committed to and involved in um, over the course of their high school experience? And so that's ultimately what I hope that a student is trying to capture on that activities page. Um, there are also on that activities page some character limits as to how much you can write. It's generally only a sentence or two. So it's sometimes difficult for some students if you have something that requires a lot of explanation to fit it into a fairly concise format like that. So you kind of have to think a little strategically about how to um, fit everything that you want to fit into that that application well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is, it's a tough balance because you have, I think it's 150 characters and you need... Mm-hmm to provide some substance, but 150 characters is a pretty limited way to do that. One of the things I advise students is, um, I mean, I know we're focusing on getting started, but remember you don't have to use full sentences. This is not about writing an essay about each activity. So Mm -hmm. sometimes that's helpful. Mm -hmm. Right. I I might um, advise someone who was doing an employment resume. um, I would say it's similar here. It can be bullet points but kind of keep it on uh, things that are more um, action verb oriented. So in just say, instead of just saying I'm a member of a club, talk about what you maybe organized with that club or, or what you presented about or what you competed in. Um, use words that kind of show your active involvement in that club and what the, the club or activity actually accomplished rather than just sort of um, leaving it as, oh, I was a member, and, and don't assume that the admissions officer always knows what a member in that organization means. It may mean different things at different high schools. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I find challenging for students, too, is to help them realize that the college, the common application is going to ask how many hours per week and how many weeks per year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like, I mean, one of the big examples is volunteer work. You know, when I ask students about volunteer work, they say, oh, I've done 100 hours. I got the, you know, whatever medal for it. And I'm like, okay, but mm-hmm. that's actually not what we need to know. Right. <laughs> so it's a really different mindset. How do you talk to them mm-hmm. about that? So I often talk to them as, um, in thinking of it in terms of impact, you know, how much impact does this activity have on your daily, weekly scheduling? Um, Is it something that you're doing, you know, once a month for an hour or two? Is it something that really you're thinking about daily or weekly and is a pretty um, substantive uh, activity in your life? I think there's a tremendous range in what students do, and I have seen students who dedicate 15 hours a week to one activity, Um, and I've also seen students who do an activity, but it's really just an occasional thing, or as you mentioned with volunteer work, it might be something that it's not so much a regular occurrence, but maybe a Saturday once a month they're they're dedicating eight hours to it. Um, So in those situations where it is kind of more sporadic, but they might be uh, dedicating some more time to it, um, I tell students that, you know, admissions officers realize that this is not a perfect way to measure this, um, but just kind of think about your time spent in that activity over the course of several months, um, kind of average out your time, and then divide it by sort of the number of weeks. So if, if it's maybe that you're involved in a volunteer activity eight hours 
a month, then I might say put that down as two hours per week because the, the common application, as you mentioned, only allows you to put weekly, um, a weekly amount of time spent and then number of weeks per year. So I'd say take that eight hours a month, break it down into two hours per week, even though that's not a perfect representation. That's kind of what colleges are looking for to see what that activity's overall impact is in your schedule and, and how much time you dedicate it to it on an after-school and weekend basis. Mm-hmm. Now, and you mentioned, um, so you mentioned kind of comparing it to a resume using action verbs. Mm-hmm. One of the other yeah. important things about a resume is that you want people to be able to read it caref- yeah. like very, very quickly. So how does that kind of right. work on, a, on an application? Yes. Yeah. So when I was an admissions officer, it was we probably, just given the volume of applications we had to read, would probably read a full application in about 20 to 25 minutes before rendering a decision. And during that 20, 20, 20 to 25 minutes, we're taking constant notes on the file and uh, really writing down what our thoughts were so that we could summarize those thoughts to an admissions committee. Um, I would spend a lot of time on the transcript. It was the, probably the thing that I spent the most amount of time on. Um, and when I got to the resume, I wanted to be able to, or in, in the case of in an application, an activities page, uh, I really wanted to be able to scan that in a minute or two. So I, I think bullet points, concise statements, concise statements that are that are accurate and fully representing your work. I'm not saying, you know, just be brief to be brief, but you want to try and maximize those words, but, but do keep it pretty concise so that um, that admissions officer can scan it in about a minute and say, okay, I get a sense as to what the student's involvements are. And that was really the reality of sort of the volume of what we had to look through. Um, we had to look at the transcript. We had to look at the resume. We had to read essays. We had to read letters of recommendation. We had to review the student's testing um, all within that 20 minutes. So uh, we really appreciated students who had some impact in their activities page and were able to clearly and concisely get up get across to us how much they were involved um, mm-hmm. in, in those after-school or weekend pursuits. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we really can't stress enough um, that uh, longer is not better in this situation. No. <laughs> <laughs> longer is not better. It needs to be able to be read very carefully and clearly. I think sometimes that's actually painful for students because they're like, mm-hmm. I put so much work into this. How are they going to get it? And I'm like, remember... Yeah. They have the hours per week and the weeks per year, and we also have a sense of the level of accomplishment when you list the mm-hmm. most important things, what it takes to get there, you know, that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Right. Yeah. And I often found that if a student was pretty heavily involved, uh, that sense of commitment to those extracurricular activities wouldn't just be mentioned by the student on their activities page, but would be echoed sometimes by the guidance counselor, sometimes by the teacher recommendations. Um, so be echoed really throughout the application. So that was not the only space that we would see how, how nicely involved the student was. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, I think a lot of the advice you've given, I mean, we've gotten into some of the specifics of the Common App, but some of the advice mm-hmm. would work for, you know, parents of ninth ninth graders, too. I mean, mm-hmm. what, you know, how do you talk about this when you're talking with younger students? Yeah, so with younger students, I um, recommend just kind of start your list now. Um, so, you know, start writing down things that the student is involved in. Again, it can be anything from the ninth grade, from the beginning of ninth grade onwards, um, during the school year, during the summer. And I do think it's good to kind of, you know, open up a document on your computer and just start that running list. Um, If the student has access to a computer program within their school called Naviance, which is a a college planning and and counseling software that a lot of high schools use, Naviance does have a resume builder in there that sometimes younger students have access to. So that could be a space where you start to to collect that information, um, or you can just keep it on your own computer and, and just start to write it down. Don't worry so much about the formatting in the early stages, but just keeping a running record of what you're involved in I think is super helpful because I can't tell you how many times I talk to a student in the summer between 11th and 12th grade, and maybe it's my first time talking to them, so I don't really know the student for the past several years, and I'll say, okay, I now want you to write down a list of everything you've done since ninth grade, and 
I sometimes get a blank stare back and say, I'm not going to remember everything. You know, the student might not remember the club that they joined just for the ninth grade year, and then they, they didn't uh, continue on. And so that, that longer list might get cut down a bit when you get to the final draft for the actual application, but I still think it's a good idea to just kind of keep it as a, a running list right from the beginning of the high school years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm feeling like a bad aunt now because I haven't had my nephew do that yet. So <laughs> I think that's going to be uh, at the Mother's Day brunch. I think that's going to be <laughs> a new assignment that he's going to get. So, all right. Any, any uh, last pieces of advice? Uh, no, I would just say, I mean, I would just say kind of keep keep the list running. And, and uh, then when you get to the application stage, really figure out how to most impactfully put what you've done into those applications so that admissions officers can kind of see the full picture of your high school experience and the activities that you've been involved in. I think that's the biggest thing to think about. Um, And longer is not better, I think is a good point to leave it on. Mm -hmm. Yes, longer is not better. Very good point. All right. Well, thank you so much, Mary Sue. Thank you, Sally, for having me. Okay. All right, and thanks to all my um, the rest of my guests today. Now, I want to tell you about our show for next week. Uh, Beth Heaton, the regular host, will be back, and she and her guests will be letting you know whether you should major in business if you are interested in going into business, as well as how to discover your strengths and interests. She'll also be reviewing the financial side of study abroad. Um, one of the other things I like to emphasize, too, by the way, you might know this if you've already been um, listening to our radio show or podcast, but College Coach is all over social media. You can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, etc. And now we've added a brand new way to connect. So if you're an Alexa user, you're going to love this one. We've just introduced a College Coach flash briefing Alexa skill You can tell I don't have Alexa because I don't even know what an Alexa skill is, but it'll keep you updated with exactly what you need to know about college admissions and college finance, exactly when you need to know it. Just enable the College Coach Flash Briefing Alexa skill using the Alexa app on your phone or computer, and when you say, Alexa, read my flash briefings, You'll get, the, you'll get the quick daily update on the world of applying to and paying for college from college coaches experts. Um, and now quickly, before the end of the show, I want to tell you about a great school, SUNY Geneseo, because we have just an extra minute. Um, so SUNY stands for the State University of New York. Um, often touted as New York's public honors college, SUNY Geneseo is a top destination for New York's strongest students. And with just under 5,500 undergraduates enrolled, the college is an ideal size for students seeking a close-knit community coupled with rigorous academic opportunities. All freshmen and sophomores are required to live on campus, and students passionate about writing, sustainability, or global citizenship may want to consider joining the writers, eco, or Dante college houses. There are over 200 clubs and student organizations to choose from including organizations like Stitches, which is a knitting and crocheting club and crew club. Um, And each year, a select number of first-year students are invited to join the Edgar Fellows community, which combines honor seminar coursework and special research opportunities for the most exceptional members of the incoming class. So definitely check out SUNY Geneseo. And all right, so finally, I just want to remind you that you don't have to listen to our shows live. Every show is accessible 24-7 on the Voice America website, and you can also download every show for free on iTunes. If you check out the archives, you'll find past shows featuring topics like how to pursue a career in the performing arts and the always popular listener questions. And if you like our show, be sure to rate us on iTunes. It takes only a moment of your time, and it's absolutely free. Last, don't forget, we're here every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. So check us out. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.